Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. Last month, we covered preventing, diagnosing, and actually curing lung cancer. This month, we focus on the heart and discuss hands-on CPR, automated external defibrillators, and ways to protect our hearts. Here's Rasa Kay. Hi, I'm Rasa Kay, and I'm talking with cardiologist Dr. Renee Bullock-Palmer. It's definitely never too late to commit to resolutions to take care of your heart. She breaks down the latest on reducing your risk factors for heart disease, as well as insights on that gripping scene that played out on the NFL gridiron when DeMar Hamlin's heart stopped after what at first looked like a routine helmet hit to the chest. We begin with that. Cardiac arrest is actually caused by a number of factors. It's simply when the heart stops beating. That can be due to a number of things. That can be due to a heart attack. That can be due to a genetic reason to, to just go into cardiac arrest, like if long QT syndrome, that's something that can cause that. And in this particular case, it's not confirmed as yet, but it was suspected that for Mr. Hamlin, he had a condition called, that occurred to him called commotia cordis, which essentially is when you get a large thump to the chest that occurs just at that moment in the cardiac cycle, the rhythm cycle, where it triggers the heart to go into a cardiac arrest. So they may not necessarily have an underlying cardiac issue, but you know, so in his particular case, that was the cause. But cardiac arrest simply is when the heart stops beating for a number of reasons. Now, something like the hit to the chest, is it specific to a part of the chest? It seems like such an unfortunate combination of factors for him. Right. So usually it's definitely has to be in the what we call a substernal area, right, in the breastplate or to the left of the chest where the heart is, because essentially the heart is getting that energy from that hit. And it occurs just at that time in the, in the cardiac cycle where then sends the heart into what we call a VTAC or V-fib arrest, which is um, what is suspected to have happened to Mr. Hamlin. What about recovering from it? I'm looking at, at this young man at peak condition in his 20s, elite athlete. I'm guessing that there's going to be cardiac rehab right. in his future. What's recovery from it like? Right. So, of course, Mr. Hamlin, as you mentioned, is an elite athlete. So he's not typically like the rest of us. But certainly, having had that happen to you on cardiac arrest, so the first thing as a cardiologist is to find out is this is an underlying condition that has caused this young man to go into cardiac arrest. One of the things that we're very concerned about, especially for athletes in the U.S., is something called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, where for genetic reasons, the heart becomes very thick, and that can be a risk factor I'm not saying he had that. We don't know. Um, you know. The doctors who took care of him, I'm sure, would have looked for that. The other thing that we also look for is if you've had like an underlying blockage in the vessels of the heart. So you'd have done like a cardiac catheterization or, or an angiogram. And then looking for valvular disease, is there any underlying valvular condition? So assuming that Mr. Hammond has a structurally normal heart, his recovery should be much faster than someone who has an underlying condition. For, because he's been, you know, in the hospital for a week, he is deconditioned relatively to what his normal you know, activity is. So he's going to need some recovery period and rehab definitely and definitely to get back to his energy where he was before will take some time. But, you know, it's up to himself how he feels, right? His family, his physicians and what they recommend about going back to play because that's a decision that I think, you know, has a number of factors that have to be considered if, if he does decide to do that. All right, well, let's talk about as mere mortals. 
with a cardiac arrest, the kind of role that age or physical condition can play in the entire process. What might cause a cardiac arrest, and depending on where you are in life and how you are in health, your prognosis and your recovery might, might be. Right, right. So, I mean, in the U.S., the number one cause of death is heart disease, right? Um, that's at least half a million people die of heart disease each year. And um, that's one person every 36 seconds, which is remarkable. The primary cause of heart disease uh, or heart, uh, death from heart disease is what we call coronary artery disease, which is basically hardening of the arteries where within the vessels of the heart, there's build up a plaque over the number of years, the um, blood flow gets cut off, and the person ends up having a heart attack. That can manifest as a cardiac arrest. And most cardiac arrests in the U.S. is due to that condition. Other causes, as I had mentioned earlier, valvular disease, if you've had a very tight valve, um, less likely if you have a leaky valve, but definitely if you have a very tight valve, or if you have an underlying structural issue that I had mentioned with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, amongst other things, because there are other um, genetic issues like can cause familial arrhythmic conditions such as long QT syndrome and other um, arrhythmic causes. But getting to the main cause, which is coronary artery disease, a lot of that can be prevented through lifestyle changes, making sure HA, American Heart Association Life Essential Aids, blood pressure management, glucose management, making sure that you're, you have an active lifestyle, making sure that your cholesterol levels are controlled, tobacco smoking definitely, um, you know, for smokers should quit, limiting your alcohol intake, getting adequate exercise, and of course, getting at least six to eight hours of sleep. So those are the HA essential aid. You know, of course, that also involves seeing your doctor to get these things done. And certainly if you've had heart disease diagnosed, then taking your medications, having that dialogue with your physician if you're having issues with your meds. Um, if you're having symptoms, definitely get checked. All right, we're going to break that down <laughs> right. a whole lot more as, yes. we, as we talk, but I, I guess just one more before we depart from this dramatic event. Certainly those, those medics were on the field less than a minute <laughs> with a defibrillator, but say you are in a public place or private place, whatever, and somebody drops and loses consciousness, and maybe it's cardiac arrest. Right. Is there any way for a non-medical person without the equipment to know? And how do you, even if you have some training in hands-on CPR, you know, the chest compressions, all of that, this is right. very daunting. Right. How do you make that decision to do it? Should you do it right. if in doubt? What What's the calculus there? Right. So the, the first thing is to, you know, seeing someone lose consciousness, falling on the floor, check for a pulse, check if they're breathing, if there's a rise in the chest. Definitely, after that, get help, right? Call for help, call 911. That's the most important thing. The second question, is there a defibrillator, right? If there's no defibrillator, someone is calling 911, while that call is being made, doing hands-only CPR is essential. And, you know, hopefully um, within a few minutes, there'll be help on the scene. But that's something that a layperson can do. One, checking for pulse, checking for chest rise, calling for help 911, and then hands-only CPR until someone arrives. Um, if you're in a facility that has a defibrillator, then that you should definitely apply to the chest because that, for Mr. Hamlin, that was what made the difference between life and death, getting him out of that um, VFib or VTAC arrest. Is there a potential harm mm -hmm. in doing anything, the, the hands-on CPR or the defibrillator for, for someone who maybe is unconscious, but not from a cardiac arrest. 
Right. So that's why I had mentioned, you know, checking for responsiveness, pulse, and, and airway, right? Because if that's not there, then anything you do to help the, to circulate blood by doing the chest compressions will only help, right? Let's say you're doing chest compressions, this person is, is unconscious in cardiac arrest. Even if you were to do some damage, with it, sometimes if there's like a cracking of the rib, in the bigger scheme of things, minuscule compared to saving someone's life. Because as um, Mr. Hamlin's event showed, the main thing is that if the brain and the rest of the organs do not get blood adequately, you can end up having a neurologic state where you're basically brain dead, and that can be a difference between life and death. So I think I know there's a fear that, okay, am I going to harm this person? But once you have confirmed that they're unconscious, without a pulse, without breath, anything you can do to get the heart pumping will only help. Calling for help is essential because you want to make sure that the medics are on their way so that you're not working by yourself. All right, then to... To kind of break down everything we were talking about, what might possibly lead to sudden cardiac arrest, heart disease, how is that caused? What are the statistics and prevalence of it? And how are we doing on heart disease? So, you know, unfortunately, we were hopeful in the previous years before COVID, but more recently, the statistics have plateaued somewhat. 400 to 500,000 persons die of heart disease each year in this country. In addition to that, the risk factors are also quite prominent. At least half of us in the United States have hypertension. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done with heart disease. And in terms of what causes heart disease with coronary artery disease, it's the elevation in cholesterol levels, glucose levels. All of those things can end up to promote plaque buildup in the vessels of the heart that over time then close that vessel off and end up causing heart disease due to less blood going to the muscles of the heart. Closing off those veins and arteries means a blockage that could lead to... Exactly, heart attack or heart failure. The difference between men and women when it comes to heart disease? Right. Unfortunately, you know, women are not behind men. They're just as likely to have heart disease as men. We're just as likely to die of heart disease compared to men. Cancer, you know, we're hearing everyone's having cancer, but in fact, heart disease actually is is what you know gets most of us in addition to that for women uh, we present similar to men with chest pain i think there's you know some myths out there that women tend to not have chest pain that's actually not true we do tend to have chest pain just as much as men however in addition to the chest pain we have other factors like we'll have palpitations we'll have fatigue shortness of breath and you know a lot of times those symptoms cloud out the chest pain that's in the background so i seen a patient yesterday i said do you have chest pain he said no i have chest tightness and chest tightness is actually what concerns us most when it comes to heart disease so i've been asking patients not more if you're having chest pain but are you having any chest sensations tightness pressure like burning make sure to tell the doctor because that may be a manifestation for heart disease and women are just as likely to have it. Um, In addition to that, for women, our vessels are smaller compared to men and we are less likely to have closing off of the vessels or what we call obstructive disease. We're most likely to have non-obstructive disease. However, the outcomes are just the same as men. In the background for women, it's not just the plaque itself, but hormones also come into play, and we do just as badly as men. And which is why we need to, one, be aware of that. Two, within the medical community, should be aware of that as well. And when you're seeing your physician, to advocate for yourself to get checked. So you're not even talking about chest discomfort. You you were very clear, chest sensation. Anything chest that's sensation. Just different. And, and, that's right. And okay, so 
Are we talking about something that's prolonged? What are the signs and symptoms right. that something may be going sure. on there behind right. the ribcage? Right, so getting to that chest sensation. So if that sensation gets worse with activity, when you're you know, wanting to get the mail, wanting to catch a bus, when you're upset about something, that's something that should tell you that this is not normal, right? If it's something that's fleeting, a few seconds you've felt it, like you know, two months ago it hasn't happened again, that's less concerning. But something that's happening repetitively with activity, with emotional upset. In addition to that, if you're having fatigue where you know, last year you could have walked a mile with ease, now you're able, barely able to walk a quarter of that distance, that's a red flag that there's something that's not right. In addition to that, fatigue, um, sometimes for women may, may manifest with palpitations. So those are some of the symptoms that you should be mindful of. If it's getting worse with activity or emotional upset, that's a red flag for sure. And it can be kind of an on and off thing, but if it's happening yes. over time. Right, on and off, yeah. And if it's happening over time and getting worse as time progresses. How do heart conditions go undetected? Is it a question of ignoring this stuff? Right, so it's multifactorial. One, patient recognition, because of course, if you don't recognize that you're not feeling well, then you're not gonna to present to the doctor, right? So being able to recognize that something is not right, which is the, the symptoms I had just described. Secondly, is when you see your physician, been doing quite a bit of work at the HA as well as you know other societies in raising awareness within our own community for women presenting with heart disease, red flags to look for. You know, if you feel that the physician you're seeing is not really taking your symptoms seriously, you're not getting answers, then you may have to see another physician get a second opinion because if you're not feeling well and not, not getting your answers checked, then you need to advocate. And there are times when, you know, the physician may do all the tests that they can think of, stress testing. But you know what? I, what I've been using quite a bit is doing cardiac CT, where you're looking within the vessels themselves for plaque that can tell you what's under the hood. And sometimes, you know, you may be surprised what we find by doing those studies. So it's multifactorial. Everyone is different. And the other thing I'd like to add as well is that for women, sometimes it may not be. A, I know we're speaking about blockages. It may not be a blockage issue. Maybe an electrical issue, right? Because the heart is like a hose. You have the plumbing. You have the electricity and then you have the walls of the heart. So if the electricity is off and you're caused having arrhythmias, palpitations, that can manifest as chest pain. So sometimes I've done all these tests, looked at the vessels, CT, everything is normal. We do like our heart rhythm monitor. We found that this patient is in AFib, irregular heart rate. We get that treated, the patient's feeling better. So, you know, it's really a lot of factors, but being able to, one, as a patient, know your symptoms to advocate for yourself if you're not getting your questions answered. And on our side, for, as physicians, being able to recognize the symptoms. So the electrical system can affect your heart function too. Does that vary between men and women? Not necessarily, right, because that can be usually with like an irregular heart rate that can happen both equally for men and women. For women, sometimes, especially as we get into a menopausal years with a shift in hormones, that can sometimes trigger palpitations that may not necessarily be a real issue, but may cause you to have symptoms and present to the doctor. And sometimes those palpitations may be very, like a skipped beat here or there, a premature beat, but sometimes those, be those palpitations can be due to an irregular heart rate, such as AFib. Right, and that in and of itself may present both with palpitations, sometimes with shortness of breath, and even sometimes with chest pain. I've had patients who would present with these symptoms. We do a lot of battery of tests. We check for um, blockages. We check an echocardiogram to make sure the heart is working. All that is uh, normal, you know, nothing there, but then we do a heart monitor. So like we're, we'd have the patient wear a monitor for 14 days, 
and we may pick up the you know electrical arrhythmia there. That's Dr. Renee Bullock-Palmer on recognizing early signs of heart disease and how doctors figure out exactly what is going on with you. We'll get into next steps in our next podcast, which as always drops the first Wednesday of the month. I'm Rasa Kay. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah Doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at DemandDeborah.org.